just bought a city. I really want to meet you where you're at. And I've just been like meditating on what that might mean for us personally um, in, in the context of, of you as an individual. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at it corporately, what it might mean for, for you as a local church. So there's, there's a couple of things that I want to encourage you individually, which you can take from. Um, and just whether it resonates or not, and that's not where you might be, keep in mind that we are collective and that you may need to lean into that as to where somebody else might need to be met at because that's where Jesus is meeting them at. So hear and open up your hearts and just make sure that you, you're receptive to what God's trying to say. So I've asked Pete and my very good house host, if I could borrow his Bible, because as a very, very bad apostolic team member, I left my Bible at home. So last night, I, uh, I sent uh, Peter what, uh, an Instagram message. I'm like, bro, could I borrow your Bible? And I'm so grateful you never asked why. That's a very good host. Didn't ask me once, why do you need to borrow my Bible? Here it is. I'm using Pete's Bible for this morning, so it's just a privilege. So if you've got your Bibles with you, which I don't, but if you've got yours with you, could I ask you just to turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 is where we're going to kick off. And uh, I am reading from Pete's translation. Well, it's not his, but it's the preferenced translation that Pete uses, which is the NKJV. Yep, so that's where I'm going to be reading from. If you've got your Bibles, let's jump there. Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the gods shook for fear for him and became like dead men. What a scene, guys. But the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid. Let me repeat that. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Continuing in verse 6, it says, He is not here, for he is risen. Do we all know that Jesus is risen? Can we just say that again? Like Jesus has risen. He's alive. Amen? We're we all there, right? We're all in the same place in our hearts. He is risen. As he said he would. Come. See the place the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. There's so much in that portion of scripture that I felt to encourage you with this morning, but we do want to allow just a time for God to speak prophetically. But I mean, border city, listen up. This is really what I really believe God wants to, wants to encourage you in your hearts this morning with, is that he, he meets us, Jesus, right? The risen one meets us in the midst of our fears, Right there in, in the, oh my gosh, I cannot believe he's here. Just when we think something's not the way it's supposed to be, Jesus is going to meet us right there. Fear not. If you've got your Bibles and you've opened it up there in that, in that uh, portion of scripture, I'd love it if you could just highlight on this very day in June, 2023, 
Fear not, for Jesus, friends, has a personal message for you this morning that I want to encourage you with, that his cry of his heart is to say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I want to help you understand this. Jesus gets you. Jesus gets you better than your wife. Jesus gets you better than your husband. Jesus gets you better than your best friend. Jesus gets you better than your mother, your father, your uncle, your auntie. Jesus gets you. He gets you. And because he gets you, he knows your fears. And because he knows your fears, he will meet you at that place. He's not going to meet you at a place that he doesn't know where you're going to be and you don't know where he's going to be. Understand Jesus' heart is to always rise above the fears that are in our hearts and get to a place of proving his promises, proving his trustworthiness, proving the fact that he will always come through, always. Beyond any shadow of doubt, he will meet us in the places of those things that are the most feared in our heart. When Jesus stepped into the scene, the woman's fear turned into pure elation, pure joy. So he never leaves us in the place that he finds us. He will always turn what the experience was of whatever we're going through in the place that he meets us in, and he turns that into joy. He turns that into life. Where there's death, he turns it into life. Where there's absence of, he turns it into a fulfillment of. Where there's absolutely no activity with our hearts or any aspect of, of livelihood or any aspect of I can actually see something happening here, he comes in and he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak life into that situation. It's a beautiful thing. Can you feel even right now, just reading the scriptures of just him in this picture, imagining the moment, can you feel his presence? I feel his presence. As I got up here and Paul laid hands on me, I just feel the presence of Jesus in this place. And, and, and it's not because now I'm in a fearful place, but it's because he meets us wherever we are. That's what he does. And you've got to work, we've, we've got to live in this lifestyle of understanding that he's always going to be there where we need him ready to worship, ready to surrender, ready to reach out and to hold on to him, just like Mary did, Give, gave him everything in that moment. Listen closely, friends, honestly, Jesus doesn't just save us. He comes, as we hear at the end of the portion of Scripture, and he commissions us. So he's not going to just leave us in this place and say, oh, wow, that was great. I no longer have fear. I no longer have trepidation in my heart. I no longer fear that your words weren't true. He goes, you, you get now that I am true. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm all of those things, right? But then he does what? He commissions us. He, he, he puts within us an, an entrusted responsibility to go out and make sure that we are sharing of his resurrection power, that we are sharing of our revelation, as Paul said this morning. Once we see him, once he meets us where we are at, we have a responsibility because he commissions us to take that revelation and go out and spread it out to the world. And I want to speak to those that might feel like it is perhaps a season of, of just feeling lost, I felt in my heart. Feeling trapped in this in the kind of cage of fear is the picture I got three weeks ago, is that Jesus is always going to meet you there and point you in the direction of hope. He'll never point you backwards. He points you forward. The direction is always forward. And the direction and the words that he will say is, I see life. I see hope. And he says, go now. Move forward. You will see me there. I am with you. Do not be afraid. Who I said I am, I am all those things and so much more. No man has great, uh, the, 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 the full 
picture of who God is. No man has the fulfillment, or, uh, the full picture or revelation of who Jesus Christ is. We don't have that yet. But we hold on to every word that he reveals through his scripture, prophetically, as he speaks into our spirit. All of these things we hold on to. We're like, I see you, Jesus. He meets us, friends, in the places of our fears. He meets us there. The second area of uh, scripture that I want us to jump to is John chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. John chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. If we can go there very quickly. And uh, I don't, again, have time to just unpack the various aspects of scripture, but the, the, the major point that I'm wanting to address here is he will meet us in the places of betrayal. So he meets us in our places of fear. He meets us in our places of betrayal. So let's go there to that scripture. John chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, good old Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. He said to them, I am he. It's me. And Judas, who betrayed him and also stood there with them, now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell onto the ground. Then he said to them again, whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered again. I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Again, so much in there prophetically for, for, for what I felt for you, but I want to highlight this thing of he will meet us in the places of betrayal. The Kidron Valley is a valley located on the eastern side of Jerusalem, and between the temp it's between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. It's mentioned several times through the Bible, if you just go and look that up, in the Old and the New Testament, and it's associated with David, in one instance, who fled across the valley, and he was, as we know, bet betrayed by his son. So this is the same place, this garden of Gethsemane, which is where we are in the scripture right now, and we find ourselves there. This is a place known as a place of betrayal. The word Kidron in Hebrew is derived from the root word of Kadar, meaning dark and gloomy. It could be just maybe just a physical reference to the place. The valley is dark. Um, maybe perhaps during raising, uh, 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 rainy seasons, it would become a dark place in that area. But it's interesting for me, friends, that Jesus, he, it says in the scripture, would often meet with his disciples in the Kidron Valley. That's interesting. Those are interesting words. Don't skip, don't skip the little words in between the big words that we hear and see on Instagram. Look at the little words here. It's Often he met with his disciples in the Kidron Valley. What does that mean to us? Is that Jesus <laughs> meets with us in the familiar place and will meet with us often in the, in the valley of Kidron. What is the valley of Kidron to us? 
The Valley of Kidron to us is betrayal in our lives. I don't know anybody that hasn't been betrayed to some degree, to some shape, to some form, to some level of betrayal. I also don't know anybody that I've come across, maybe it's just because I'm in ministry, that hasn't been in a dark place or a gloomy place or a place where it just feels too dark that you actually can't see your next step in front of you. But the important thing is that Jesus often met with these disciples in that place. And that's what's so important, is that Jesus will repeatedly come back into the valleys of Kidron within our hearts and meet with us there. He meets us in the places of betrayal. He meets us in the places where others would say, I've actually had enough of being here with you in the valley, and here my heart is, as good as friends are as good as we as pastors and elders are, we also sometimes move on from people and we leave them in the valley. But not Jesus, friends. Not Jesus. That doesn't make us bad people. That doesn't make us bad friends. But Jesus will never, ever, ever leave us in the valley of Kidron. He will never, ever leave us in the dark places. It's not his desire because light and dark cannot mix. He wants to be with us. Therefore, he will meet us in the valley. And if it means he has to meet us there five times, 10 times, 15 times, 20 times, 30 times, Jesus, based on scripture, based on his model of meeting with his disciples, will meet with us in the valleys of dark places in our lives. And that doesn't mean that Jesus just meets with us and as per scripture in the good times. As Christians, we get really good at going hallelujah. We've got them in our church, friends. We've got the amen, amen, amens. How's good? How's life? So good. I'm like, there's no bad? Nope, so good. I'm like, wow. Every time, every month, every week, every day, so good? And that's great. But there's, there's a kind of falsity to that. And you've got to be aware of that. You know, Jesus doesn't just meet us, friends, in the good times. He shows up in the darkest moments. In the very places where we actually cannot believe the person who we would never have imagined betrays us, betrays us. That's where he meets us, friends. When Jesus faced the ultimate betrayal, he didn't cower or shrink back as we see in the scripture. No, he stepped forward with such authority, such power, that even those, we read it right now, who came against him were knocked to the ground. Knocked down, that's what happens. Can you imagine the scenes? Can you imagine the senior, the soldiers, the religious authorities, all coming to arrest Jesus now? But there he stands, unflinching and unwavering in the authority and the identity of the Father that's been, uh, that the Father declared over him. And he's saying over and over three times, I am he. I am he. Revealing the unmatched, the, the, the power in the face of betrayal. So this is the thing of Jesus meeting us in the, in the valleys of Kidron, is that he doesn't just meet us there. He is the one that says, I am here with you. I'm here in the valley. I've been here all the time. I've been here when, you've, when you thought that I wasn't here. I'm going to be here when you think I'm still not here. Whatever the case is, I'm here. In the face of betrayal, I am here. It is incredible. Have you ever felt the sting? of those closest to you that, you that you would just have not imagined would turn their back on you? You know that pain inside your heart where it's just like, wow, Lord, and I don't know why I'm highlighting betrayal. I'm just being obedient to the Spirit. 
But friends, he meets us at that place. And he doesn't leave us there, as I said earlier. He empowers us to recognize the authority that is on him. And it's the same authority that he gives us and empowers us to rise above the places of betrayal in our lives. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus didn't protect himself in the moment of betrayal. He could have. But rather, he stepped in and shielded his disciples. He's got this, he's got this default of, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to make sure that what's come to get you, I'm going to fight for you. I'm the defender, as we heard that word this morning, 100%. The victory is in his name, not in our name. You know, often people will share testimonies, and we as elders corrected it, because right at the end of the testimony being shared, somebody will say, so I'm really glad that I got through that. No, friend, you didn't get through anything. You really didn't. I love you. The testimony up until that point was 100% solid, but you forgot the closing remark. And the closing remark is, I'm so glad that Christ got me through that. Because it's in that place, it's from that place of victory that we operate from. That's where he meets us. And I want to encourage somebody here today, I don't know who it is, that's felt the depth, honestly, the, the heaviness, the, the, the weeping moments of betrayal. I say to you this morning, lift up your head because Jesus is right here with you. He's meeting you in this place right here in this moment. Don't under, underestimate, friends, the power of Jesus to redeem the most painful betrayals in our lives. Three or four weeks ago, we had major opposition, and as Paul uh, um, alluded to, of us uh, emigrating from South Africa to Canada. We had major opposition come against us. And honestly, having just heard this word for Border City, Jesus said, what am I asking and what, what am I sending you to Border City with? I'm like, Lord, uh, an encouragement to meet, meet, you'll meet them where they are. So he says, well, I'm meeting you here. And it was opposition from our very own, our own camp, our own family. We were like, why are you doing this? Why now? Why would you wait all these years to bring this to us now? It's moments of betrayal, but Jesus is going, hold on. Recognize the season in which I'm calling you into, that I'm thrusting you into, and recognize for a moment that it's the opposition that the enemy has come to try and take the moment away, to derail you, to distract you, to demotivate you, to discourage you. All of those D words, ignore it, remove it, and here, I'm meeting you right here in this place. And it's real, friends, for us, even in our lives right now. Do not underestimate the power of Jesus to redeem even the most painful betrayals in our lives. Your story of betrayal, friends, will become a testimony to his unmatched power and his unmatched love. Those two things. There's the power of Jesus in the story and the love of Jesus. He will not leave us there. Border City, if you're feeling uncertain in any way, if you're feeling lost in any way, take comfort in this fact. I'm telling you now that Jesus is with you. He is walking through the darkest place of your life right now, and he will guide you through it. Though I walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. He never leaves us in that valley. He will always walk us through with love, faithfulness, knowing, friends, in your heart that he will never forsake you. Never forsake you. We've got to hold on to these rudimentary truths. They may be basic, but they, they are the, the very essence of who Jesus Christ is. Here in the scripture, it says, I see Jesus. I see Jesus. So see him for who he is. Thirdly, if you can jump with me to our third portion of Scripture this morning, which is Luke chapter 15, verse 8 to 10. We, we're going to just continue to massage in this aspect of where Jesus meets us. And this one 
is probably the one that's been burning on my heart the most, and it's meeting um, us in our places of wandering. So the places where we wander around the most, <laughs> where we kind of lost, Jesus is there. So if you can go to Luke chapter 15 for me, and we're going to kick off from verse 8 just for the sake of time. I wanted to read everything. Pete's Bible's got really beautiful, big, bold text, which is fantastic. Yeah, thank you for helping a brother out there. So we're going to go to verse 8 of chapter 15, right? The parable of the lost coin. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over the sinner who repents. Friends, when we lose our way and feel like we're wandering in the dark, let me remind you again this morning, prophetically for you as a church, that Jesus doesn't give up on us. He actively pursues lighting up our paths ahead of us, sweeps away all of the distractions, as I just mentioned to you now, until we are found. Until we are found. Jesus meets us in our places of wandering. I need us to understand something significant this morning, is that if you're feeling lost, if you're feeling strayed, if you're feeling as though you've been written off, if you're feeling abandoned, if you're feeling any aspect of, where am I, Lord? My encouragement to you is he who calls upon the whole heavenly, the heavenly Father, has sent his son, who, as we see in the scripture, commands that the whole of the heavens celebrate when just that one soul returns back to him. Just one soul. Friends, it's an incredible thing. Imagine the joy in heaven. Picture this for a moment. Angels throwing the biggest banquet party of note when just one, one is found coming back to Jesus. And for me, kind of taking a bit of creative license out of the scripture is, and I know that the theologically would be referenced only to the fact that it's a, it's a first off salvation, but my heart and my encouragement to you this morning is to picture it that even in the moments where we've wandered off from, from Jesus for a period of time, we just go for walkie-walkies, you know walkie-walkies, just kind of not really, really close to Jesus, but you come back to the main path and you go walkie-walkies, come back again, you know those moments? I would say, I know that the scripture is referring to salvation, but I would say even in those moments, the whole of the heavens rejoice. Why? Because it is not an intention of Jesus Christ for us to have a walkie-walkie relationship with him. He wants us close. He wants us closer than anything. Anything closer than, as close as what my wife stands to me, I can't get closer than that. That's how close he wants us to walk. I don't know if you may have thought that in this last season that you've wandered too, too far from Jesus. That's, a, that's an, a lie from the enemy. I want to tell you that that's an absolute lie. That you can't wander too far away from Jesus to return back to him, friends. It's just not possible. I don't know if you may wonder in your heart that you're just too broken in an aspect or area of your heart and you've isolated and you've put that area in a reserve bank to say, Jesus, that area is just too far away from you. 
That's not what Jesus does, friends. He comes in and he redeems all of us. He wants our entire heart. That's why the scripture says, give all of your heart, everything from the abundance of every portion of scripture that refers to heart, refers to everything within me, I lay before you, everything within me. There's nothing else left, not one cavity, not one area, everything I lay at your feet, Jesus. And I say, I want you closer in this area. And that can relate to so many different things for all of us. It could be past hurts. It could be identities. It could be whatever it might be. It's pain. It's, 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 it's a multitude of things. But he wants us to know this this morning, is that he sees and he wants to, us to see the value again of just coming as close to him as possible. Uh, even amidst the mess of life and making wrong decisions and making calls that we shouldn't have made and maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, should I commit, shouldn't I commit, what a, should I be in this relationship, shouldn't I be, I haven't been, I should have been, I could have been a better father, I could, all of those things, all of those things, friends, he's saying is not, not gonna keep you away from me. He will meet you in your place of wandering away in those areas. Again, I want to encourage you that your past does not define the future that you have with Jesus. It cannot. It's not written in Scripture, and it's not His heart. Your past cannot define your future with Jesus. He has a purposeful future for you. Purposeful. And these are, these are the tactics of the enemy to come in and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, like this woman, I'm going to make sure that she loses her coin. I'm going to make sure that she gets so intimately involved in every aspect of finding this coin that she doesn't even notice Jesus anymore. Friends, that's an attack from the enemy. That's what he does. He comes to distract. He comes to bring absolute derailing in our lives. Loss when there's financial pressure in our lives. It's a distraction from the enemy. Why? Because he wants us to focus on the value of money in our lives rather than a value of the intimacy that we need to have with Jesus. He, the enemy, the, 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 the devil would come to try and just take our attention just one degree off. You've all heard the story before of, of a, a battleship, battleship going out. Um, and, and if it just has a mission of getting from one, part of, uh, one side of the Atlantic to the other side, but if it is one degree off course, just one degree off, do you know, friends, that by the time that it gets to the intended destination that that battleship was supposed to be at, it will not reach that destination because one degree of an area of focus in our lives can cause us to not reach the destination. And the destina- destination is a fulfilled relationship with Jesus. Not a partial, a full, an intimate, a, 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 a conanier, I'm here with you. There's nothing else that I can do other than be with you, Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He cares about the smallest details. So it's not about Jesus saying, I don't care about you losing your coin. That's not his heart either. He wants to be there to help you find the coin. And here's the truth, friend. Jesus doesn't just wait for us to find our way back to him. That's what I love about him, right? His heart is to say, actually, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to, unless you, there's just nothing else. There's nothing else that's going to distract me of coming after you relentlessly. His love for us, friends, is relentless. But we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility for our hearts to return to him. 
That's why the scriptures are clear about return to your first love. Return to him. It unleashes the power to restore us. It releases the power in our lives to transform us. It, it releases the power to redeem lost moments. All of these things, a lost coin, a lost this, a lost, these are lost moments, friends. They're an attack of the enemy to come and say you've lost it in that space. We lost our business three years ago during, uh, just after COVID. And I tell you now, we talk about valleys of Kinron, uh, Kidron and we talk about lost moments. That was a lost moment for me where the one day I woke up, it was the day of announcing to our staff that we were going to voluntarily shut down the business liquidate the business, right? And I had to take the honest moment of reflection going, I've lost this. I've lost this thing that I thought that God was building. I've lost it. It's no longer in my control. It's no longer going to yield anything. It's no longer going to, it's not going to bear any fruit anymore. And in that realization of going, I've lost it. I've actually lost it. This dark valley has overwhelmed me. I'm not going to get out of this place. I'm really not. And I get back into bed and I close the curtains and I pull the, the, the duvet over my face and I'm like, I can't do this, Jesus. I can't find the coin. I can't find you. I don't want to hear you because you couldn't do this to me. You're not a good father if you, lose a, if, if, if you cause me to lose a business because that's how, where my heart was at. Um, I don't want to read your word. I don't even want to worship you. I'm their God. Now we're talking real now. Jesus says to me, you can act like a child, like a three-year-old baby, and continue to pull the blanket over your head, or we can move on from this together. Because I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm not going to leave you there. But you've got to do something. You have a responsibility to transform the situation, and I've got the power. So you're going to work with me, or you're not going to work with me. So get up, stop acting like a child, open up the curtains again, let the sun come in, stop acting like a baby, mature yourself, Learn from the lessons. It's, it's painful. It's great loss. I didn't lose one coin. I lost three million coins. That's different. And I'm not discrediting scripture. I'm just saying that's three million coins losing. I've got a problem. And I go straight to a portion of scripture straight away because you can't stay in the place. You can't stay in the valley of Kidron, right? You cannot stay there, friends. I get up from bed, uh, out of the bed, I go to the scripture, and the Lord takes me to the scripture. I don't have time to go to, into it now. He says, everything of the prior vineyard that was there before, I want you to burn it right to the hedges. Leave nothing of resemblance of the prior vineyard that used to yield fruit, including the stone tower. Some of you know the scripture. The stone tower in the corner that has been put up there for reserves of water. Take that down too. In fact, Take, I mean, um, I'm obviously just elaborating on scripture. Take the whole lot and just flatten it. Why? Because the season ahead is a new vineyard. You're going to plant a new vineyard. Let go of the past vineyard. Let it go. It's not, it's not your vineyard anymore. It's from that place, friends, that I start to see my word. He's with me. He met me in the valley of Kidron. He met me in the place of betrayal even. There were people that were making accusations, as I shared with Paul yesterday, of just random accusations about the way that we handled certain things in the liquidation but without there was no merit with them and we were from every corner but that's where Jesus meets us friends he gets so personal and let me remind us of this Jesus didn't just come for the sake of righteousness he came for the lost and the ones that have strayed away and have made mistakes. So if you think you've gone too far if you think you're too unworthy if you think you've just lost the plot 
think again. Jesus will meet us in those places of brokenness in our lives. And he offers from that place a boundless love, a boundless grace, a boundless mercy, a boundless kindness, a boundless, I am with you. Jesus is with you in those three places. So whilst it's been good to kind of consider this personally for us, and I leave it to you to see what Jesus might be wanting, where Jesus might be wanting to meet you personally, for you as a church, I just feel like these three examples could mirror somewhat as a corporate prophetic encouragement to you right here, right now, of just dispelling, hear my heart, any uncertainty of his unwavering commitment to you as the church. May I, tell you, may I say that again to you? Please would you dispel right now within your hearts that he is still committed to Border City Church. And I'm sorry for stating the obvious because every church should know that, but I want to tell you that he is meeting you in this place right here, right now, with fears, betrayal, fears of is there progress? Is there opportunity? Is there this? Is there that? Is there this? Is there supernatural? Is there no breakthrough? Friends, Jesus is meeting you, Border City Church, right here, right now, in this exact place. And one of our roles as the apostolic, as Paul mentioned to you, and again, Paul, thank you for the freedom you gave it to me last, last night, is to speak into situations and to say, I want to tell you that you need to be encouraged to continue to propel towards the incredible future and inheritance that God has for this church. Why? Because he meets us there. He meets us where you are right now as a church, right here, right now. So for a moment, let's switch things up and take it away from a personal, I need you, Jesus, to meet me here. And can I cause our hearts just to say, Jesus, you're meeting us here. Let's get, let's get plural with things. Let's get collective with things. Let's get into a state of going, we're in this together, friends. We are in this together. Paul said it before. I didn't just say it was a good thing for us to pray for you as a church a month ago. It's, it's what we do because we're in this together. And I believe Jesus is meeting you here at Border City Church in your place because of your perseverance. And I have this for the elders and I'll submit it to the elders. But I believe he's meeting in your place of perseverance. Despite facing opposition and hardships, you have remained steadfast. You have remained resilient. You, you, church, have remained resilient, and he's meeting you there. I believe Jesus is meeting you, Border City Church, in a place where he is desiring to do miracles among you. Last night, I had a dream of three people um, uh, coming in on wheelchairs and walking out without the wheelchairs. And I see him demonstrating his power and his presence in this place in a way that you've never, ever, ever seen in your life before. May it be, Lord, for the purposes of his glory. Three, three people crippled was my dream. Walking out of this place. That is miraculous. That is the demonstration of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus is meeting you, Border City Church, in a place where you see lack. I see him saying, I see provision. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. 
We cannot diminish our thoughts of who we see and what we see in the natural to what he sees supernaturally. We, we don't have that ability. Whilst we see prophetically and whilst we are in tune and in step with the Spirit, we cannot see what Jesus sees. He shows us aspects of it, but I see for you as a church, provision. I capitalized it in my notes. Provision, provision, provision. You have been generous, friends, where others would never have been as generous as what you have been. And I don't know what that means. I don't know where you've been so generous. I don't know if it's financial. I don't know if it's in your talents. I don't know if it's in your treasures. I don't know if it's in your time. But I felt last night the Lord saying, they have been generous where others wouldn't have been. There is a remarkable spirit of generosity, not only on your eldership. Again, let's go collective here. There is a remarkable spirit of generosity on you, Border City Church. It will be your mark for eternity. He has seen your willingness to share your possessions and resources with those in need, even at your own peril. He has seen your selfless care for this community. These are, these, are, these are words that I believe Jesus is wanting to massage into your heart. He sees it. And he's meeting you there. I believe Jesus is meeting you, Border City Church, in a place where you'll see the incredible, remarkable boldness of the proclamation of Jesus Christ in almost like the early uh, church of Acts where there was just this fearless proclamation of the gospel from this place. I see him wanting to match your boldness, which is within you, with a new fresh empowerment and his commitment and partnership with you. There's this freshness that he's putting on you. As I was praying this morning, I, I saw like a, 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 a white cloth that had uh, kind of like a, 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 it was wet from, the, from, from both sides, but right down the middle of it was just this red line. And I was like, Lord, what is the red line? Like, I get the cloth, like that's anointing, that's, your spirit is hovering. We get all of those analogies that he's on you, but what's the red line? And he said, it's, it's, it's to demonstrate my commitment, covenant, and partnership with this church. I felt like the Lord said to me uh, this morning, I am more locked in and engaged in spreading the gospel to this community than you could ever be. And that doesn't say that you're not as much as he, but he, Jesus, is more so than you. He's more committed than you could ever be. So with that boldness, with that authority, with that backing of heaven, my goodness, Border City Church, where you will go will surprise you. He died for the city. He wants the gospel proclaimed both locally and beyond. I see, I see him making disciples and establishing, I got this kind of word of pop-up churches um, in various regions of the surrounding community. Just pop-ups. Like uh, in a retail environment, you just randomly see a pop-up and it's not like it's there for one moment and gone for the other, but there's a, there's a strategic objective of that national brand or whatever it might be that's done a pop-up store there because they've seen an opportunity. I believe that he's releasing over you prophetically as a church a season of seeing opportunities afresh. New regions, locally and beyond your borders. I believe the season ahead is a season where he's going to meet you at the place of unity again. Just as again the believers in Acts were united in heart and purpose 
They shared a common vision, friends, and they were devoted to one another, fostering always the sense of genuine community and fellowship with each other. I wanted to highlight the word genuine. And again, please hear my heart. It never, it's not that you're being genuine. It's the Lord, I feel, in wanting to remind you that be genuine. Be completely genuine in our community and fellowship together. When I saw that photo of the prayer time coming up on Wednesday, that's genuine community and fellowship. You see it. Nita's walking through to the kitchen. There's, there's a laugh. There's a smile. There's a, Carlos. You're all there. That's, that's real. That's not, that's, you can't fake that. That's what he's calling you, and he's meeting you at that place. I believe that Jesus is wanting to meet you in the place of fervent prayer again. And I felt such great confirmation when Paul said, we're not canceling Monday. Great. When, what are we doing? We're moving it to Wednesday. So whilst we've, as a team, carried a lot over this week for equip, we're not going to put prayer aside because of our place of tiredness and exhaustion. We're not going to do that. We're going to go, there is a season of fervent prayer ahead. Please, church, never lay down the desire and uh, kind of passion for prayer for your city, for your region, for each other, for your eldership, for your finances, for your family, for those that don't know Christ. Do not lay that down. I feel like there's a, a, a level of dependency that he's bringing to you in all aspects of your lives, corporately and individually in the area of prayer. And what I mean by that is that there's going to be a, a desperate dependency on prayer where every single echo from your mouths will be, we've got to pray about that on Monday. We've got to pray about that on Monday. I have to pray about that. On, there's, a, there's a renewed dependency. Some of, us, some of us have come from, I believe in the church, um, that you've come from a place of knowing what, it's, what, it, what it looks like to be fervent in prayer. That, that, that was a past action. That was a past behavior. That was a past habit. I believe Jesus is saying, I'm bringing it right back to the foreground for you as a church. It's the breakthrough key. I felt like that is going to be the, it's in, I'm turning the key, prayer is going to catapult those things. I see you border city church as trans transcending the borders of every cultural and ethnic boundary for the gospel for which it was meant. And I know that you might know this, but regardless of their social or ethnic background, I see him meeting you at the place of being a culture resetting church. I just got that statement this morning and pray, I'm, I'm, I've given them the authority, and that's a big thing, for the Lord to say, I've given a church, this lampstand, that I, I put here, I have given them the ability to be a culture-resetting people. That is huge, because you don't just go and change culture. That's, that's, that's bizarre to even say. To have the authority from the Lord to say, we have a mandate to change the culture in this city. That's, that's, that's going to bring, I mean, you're going to need Jesus to meet you there. In case you're not getting what I'm saying, that's, that's opposition. Uh, just pointing out the obvious. Um, that's, you're going to need him to partner with you. Because if you're going to come against the culture and you're going to come to change that culture with a kingdom culture and with a Christ-like culture, you're going to have to, one, two, three, four, five points before this, be in prayer, be united, be in this together collectively. He's called you, church, to operate from a very secure place of knowing who you are to him individually and what you have been called to in this church collectively. Please understand that. 
And please hear that this morning. He wants you to be secure. He wants you to know that he's meeting you at the place that's in your heart. That's great. But it's way bigger picture than that. You have got the mandate to be part of this local church, corporately, collectively, in partnership with one another, asking the questions. Silence is borderline ignorance, where you just don't ask. Well, that's ignorance. You've got to ask, what are we doing? When are we doing? How are we going? When did you go? When are you going? How can we pray? Who can be there? Can we fetch? Can you drop? Can you look after? Can you have a home group? Can I have the home group? Can we pray while you're gone? Can I come when you're gone? You ask. We're not a silent people. Because of the, the mandate on this lampstand is, is, is such a commissioning mandate, you're going to have to speak. You're going to have to talk. And sometimes those talking moments are hard moments. Anybody that's married knows that when you need to talk, you need to talk. And those talks aren't always so, oh, oh okay, we don't want to go out and admit now. I mean, just, yeah, <laughs> marriage counseling's on Tuesdays. <laughs> but the point is this, is that have the conversations, please, friends, and ask. If unsure, ask. Please, friends, ask each other, ask the eldership. Ask, ask for accountability both ways. It works both ways. God set it up that way. He's asked for us to be accountable to one another. Confess your sins to one another is not a confession booth of, I looked at something on Instagram last week, young guys, young ladies, all of us, actually, that I shouldn't have. That's not the confession booth. Whilst that is helpful, and that is part of the act of confessing my sins to one another, there's various translations that say, confessing my burden, confessing my, 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 the things that I'm carrying, confessing where I'm at, confessing, confessing, confessing. What does that translate to is I'm having a conversation with you. I'm talking to you to say, actually, I'm burdened by this in my heart. Don't neglect what God is burdening in your heart with because it could be and is very, well be, uh, uh, is very often the corporate for you as a church. Move away from the selfish place of going, Oh, yes, that's for me. It's not maybe for you. Maybe it's for the corporate of where God's trying to take you. John 17 verse 4 says, live a life of purpose, friends, and meaning, just as Jesus did. You want your life, friends, to have purpose and to have meaning, right? Use your talents and gifts to serve one another and bring glory to God. What, a, what an incredible um, encouragement, I want to have purpose. Yes, Lord. I want to have meaning, just like you did, Jesus. So therefore, use your gifts. Serve one another. Bring glory to God. I see a Romans 12 gift on you. They refer to as the mercy gifts. Um, Romans 12, verse 6 to 8, we know the scripture well. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. There's been a different, if I can switch the narrative here from individual, because it's referring to individuals. But I felt this morning that the Lord was saying, Romans 12, 6 to 8, in a corporate sense, you have been given, you, Border City Church, have been given different gifts according to the grace given to you. To you. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy, church, in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, and I'm talking collective here for a moment, if it is to encourage, encourage. 
If it is to give, then give generously. That's already on you. That's so good. That's great. It's like not to tick box things, but it's like there's a spirit of generosity on you already. Then just give generously. Don't just give. Give it generously. And if it's to lead, do it diligently. Whatever you've been given to do to lead. Luke. Jordan? Where did I get Luke from? Where's Luke? There's Luke. I was like, I'm sure there was one gospel in here this morning. You've just started on drums. Guitar. Again. If you've been given that to do in the context of this, it's to lead something. Right? You're leading an aspect of ministry here. You may not see it on your life, but do so diligently. And I'm not saying you haven't done it, but you're there and you don't know how many guitarists. It is guitar, right? I haven't got it wrong again. You don't know how many guitarists are behind you in the wake of your obedience to lead in that area of ministry. You don't know, bro. I don't know how old are you. How old are you? 16? And you're on guitar on a worship team? That's crazy. That's leading. Do it diligently because you don't know what's in the wake of those that are coming to Border City Church. Somebody your age, bro, somebody 45, somebody 70 may come in these doors and see you playing and go, I want to do that. And because of your diligence, they're going to follow in pursuit. So, if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I don't know why mercy comes into our scope as that is a really, really hard task sometimes. We've had it in our own family. When my daughter, I mean, we're, we're in eldership environments and when you're the pastor and when you're shepherding people, when you're caring for people, and I'm, I'm always going to bring it back to the collective, when we are caring for people, there will always be the burden of mercy. And I can use the word burden of mercy because there is a, there is a burden of it. Our, uh, my own daughter would be driving in our car at night and just saying, Dad, why do we have to be the family to go again? Is there nobody else to go to that family? Is there nobody else? Surely, Dad, there's another family in the church that can take that family a meal. Why do we have to be the guys? She's eight years old. And I'm like, have mercy. Have mercy, my girl. God's going to use us in this moment because he's designed this moment to happen. And do so cheerfully, my girl. That's what I say to her. I'm like, I know it's always us. When I have to come home at 9 o'clock because I've been praying with somebody at hospital, same face. Why you? What about the other guys? I was like, the other guys are also out. The battlefield is full, requiring a lot of mercy, friends. Let it be said of Border City Church that you are a prophetic people. And a prophetic people is simply passing on messages from God to others. Often there is a, a, a perception that it's, it's, it's as uh, uh, Paul alluded to, like I've got to see into your heart and I've got to see into sinful. At No, friends, equipping, encouraging, enlarging faith of people. That's all it is. So may it be said of Border City Church that you are a prophetic people based on how you encourage. Simple. I'm not going to over-elaborate that. Not asking you to be a five-fold prophet. I'm asking you to be a prophetic people. Border City Church, may you be said to be servers. Just help in practical ways. Look at Martha and Luke 10. Get involved in any task that you can. Not just wild cannon shot, maybe. Maybe you need a season of 
I don't know what that looks like in worship. I don't know what that looks like to go and reach out to a community. Maybe, maybe you need a season of, yeah, let me go try that out. That's good because you're exploring your giftings. But may it be said of Border City Church that you are servers to this community. May it be said that you are teachers. What does it mean to teach? Go and speak to Paul. Go and speak to the eldership. Is it possible for me to teach a subject matter? Is it possible for me to teach on a certain aspect? Sure. Prepare it. Come back to the eldership. Let them know. But it goes a little bit wider than that. Teaching means gathering people. Teaching means communicating things in information in various ways. You can communicate things for, for, for the church in ways that you don't even know. Use your skill right in your hand. All people are doing is ask questions, validate the truth of what you are as a church, and just give the, give the information. doesn't mean you have to go into huge theological discussions. I'm breaking this down for us. Very quick win handles. Thirdly, may it be said of you that you are encouragers, building others up, giving courage to others, particularly in your region. I make no assumption I know the hardships of your region, but particularly in your region is what I felt to say. Barnabas, Joseph, a Levite from, from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which, which means son of encouragement. Go read Acts 4.36, friends. Son of encouragement. May you as a house be called the son of encouragement. May it be said of you, Border City Church, that you are sons of encouragement. Wherever your lips go, wherever you're speaking, you're encouraging. Just encourage. You did really good today. Thank you for looking after my children today. Thank you so much for giving us this building. Thank you for the environment. Thank you for the way that you parked that. Thank you. For, thank you. Encourage. Bless with words. Fifthly, may it be said of Border City Church that you are generous, as we've touched on already. You use all resources available to you. Time, talents, and treasures. All of the things and above. And with great care. You're not loose-handed. You're open-handed as a people. You're not just, I'm going to kind of give to anywhere. No, be specific. Lay it before the Lord in prayer. Come to the eldership and say, where is the concern? What do we do to part in here together? What is the need? Lastly, again, just to lead. Get involved. All it is is getting involved and getting people to achieve a common goal or purpose. That's the simplest definition of this gifting. Look at Moses, look at David, all that it is, Nehemiah, Border City Church, you have the ability, you have the gifting to build. You build people. What does that mean, like build people? Well, you build people. You build people up. You bring them in and you build them up. In who? In Christ. Build them up. Come in. Let me build you up in Christ. You have a Nehemiah spirit on you, I see, where it's you're, you're just going to build. It's so easy for you. You're generous with it. And you can build with people easily. Mickey fetched four bags from a hotel room from Chicago and brought them all the way to Detroit. And this isn't a self-promoting moment for a deacon, but that's, that's what's on you as a church. That's no worry for them. Was, you were also there, right? No. Yeah, it was you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Hey? Oh, that guy. Yeah, look kind of similar. Look, I don't even know which instrument is here, so don't forgive me. But friends, you, are, you, you, you have that in you. So continue to be merciful, showing compassion, empathy, and kindness to others, particularly those in need, as I said. Practically, lastly, just before we close out, and then we're just going to, if that's all right, um, going to shoot through these, and I'll share them with the elders, is that if this is the place in which you've been 
called to, and that's the standard, that's the living standard. We call it a living standard measure in marketing terms. As a church, you have living standard measures, right? Because you have been planted as a lampstand amongst this, among this community and this city and this region for the very specifics of what I felt prophetically for you. These are just some of the riverbanks that I feel to guard you in, to guide you in, and just to see you operate in the fullness of what God has for you. Very quickly flying through them. Number one is that we know that Jesus meets us in the place that he meets us at personally. Well, then we know that Jesus meets us where we're at as a church, and I've, I've kind of shared that with you. But then I want you to take it a step further, and I'd love you to say, I'd love to say to you to celebrate every move of the miraculous, big or small. The miraculous in finances, the miraculous provision, miraculous physical healings, celebrate every move of the Spirit, please. Why? Because you're, you're saying as a church, friends, do it again, Lord. You're, you're, you're prophetically declaring it, so it's an activator. So it's, we had, don't diminish the moment. I'm referring to it here. This is a huddle. We're having a little huddle here. When the moment happens, don't say this is a small or this is a big. That's not for us to define. We celebrate every move of the Spirit. Why? Because what we celebrate, we're cultivating. And so if, we, if, if prophetically I'm seeing on you, there's going to be the miraculous and the, the move of the Spirit here. Celebrate the moments. Big, small, short, tall, long, thin, whatever it is. If it's three wheelchairs next week, Lord, let it be. But celebrate the moments. Secondly, be collective and connected in everything, right? So, don't run off and be merciful by yourself. Don't run off and be prophetic by yourself. That's not helpful for a house. We've got to be collective and connected in everything. Why? 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 Why do we do this? Because community, community, us as a church, cultivates community. When somebody is a lone ranger... That's not cultivating community. Community cultivates community. Be concerned about what you are cultivating. Be concerned, not worried, just be aware. Be aware of what you're cultivating. Because if, if I see this on you as a prophetic people, as a compassionate people, as a people that lead, all these things, be aware of what you're cultivating at all times as a church in your expression of what God's put on you as a lampstand in this region. Creative in what you cultivate is the fourth thing. So be creative. I see a creative spirit on you. I see it on your eldership team. I see it on Mickey's art that we saw in Chicago. There is a deliberate, intentional creativity that God's put on you. So be creative in what you cultivate. Thinkers, creative types, do your thing. I felt the Lord say to you, do your thing. Lastly, compassionate and encouraging to one another all the time. All the time. I know we've said this, but friends, please can I ask you, be compassionate to one another. Not everybody can carry the same thing as you. Not everybody has the same capacity as you. Not everybody can commit at the level that you need to, so have compassion. But just as Jesus meets us in those places, be there and meet meet each other in those places. Don't leave each other. We never leave a soldier behind. We never leave a soldier behind. Just because we're running ahead, I can see the future for you. It's going to be wild. It's going to be high levels of provision. It's going to be all of these great, wonderful things. Never leave a soldier behind. 
Because why? We're in this together. Border City Church, continue to be the light in the darkness. Continue, continue, continue. I wanted to encourage with you, encourage you with that corporately this morning. Can I pray for us? Is that cool? Just in the, in the corporate sense of what I had shared into, is that good? If you are able to, would you stand with me? I just feel to... Jesus, we want to just command our attention afresh to you. you. You are the greatest, greatest desire of our hearts this morning as we sang in worship. So we just want to thank you for that. Thank you for meeting us here in this place today. Um, from the moment that we sang, from the moment that I walked in, just your presence. Thank you so much. Just for your presence. Your presence is all that we require. David says, do not lift your hand from me, O Lord. Lord, my prayer for Border City Church would be that you would never lift your hand off this church, Lord. You're so evidently here. You're so evidently present. Thank you for these people, Lord, that you've gathered together as in such a time as, as this, Lord. Right here, right now, in this moment of June 2023, every single person in this room, Lord, you have called for such a time as this. And so, Lord, we just thank you right now, Lord, that as we've shared that you would meet us in this place, Lord, that you would continue to do a great and deep work within each of our hearts, but in the heart of Border City Church, I pray, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you've called Border City Church to be the light in the darkness to Detroit and beyond. I thank you for a pure reflection of your love, Jesus, a pure reflection. Lord, I thank you right now that there would be a sacrificial serving among Border City Church with sheer humility, Lord, sheer compassion, genuine love, Christ, just as you forgave us, so we forgive others, Lord. Put a forgiveness in our hearts that would be spoken of, Lord, in this place, Lord. Thank you that you've given Border City Church the ability to be peacemakers in situations where others have walked away from those situations. Lord, in a, in a world of conflict, you've called this church as a lampstand to be a peacemaker. I thank you, Lord, that you would allow and cause this church to continually be able by your spirit to lay their lives down for the sake of others. It's you that does it, Lord. Lord, you have a great plan for this church, Lord. You have a great faith for this church, Lord. You're meeting Border City Church where they're at right now. Lord, I thank you for your love for her. I thank you that you have given this church, the neighbors that you have given her. I thank you, Lord, that she would be a vessel of healing and restoration. I thank you, Lord, that the actions of Border City Church would speak of your hope and your comfort to the brokenhearted of this community, Lord. Not for the namesake of Border City, but for the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. Be glorified through this lampstand. Be glorified through this people, Lord. I pray a fresh anointing, that picture I got of a wet blanket, a, a, a wet cloth over this church. Thank you for your anointing just resting over her, Lord. And that red line of your covenant and your promise running right through that cloth, Lord. 
It's within the DNA of this church that you are committed to Border City Church more than anybody else, God. And if we have your commitment, God, who can stand against us? The victory is in your name. The provision is in your name, God. Our togetherness is in your name, God. So we thank you for that. I bless this church. Reason I bless this church, Lord. Thank you for the partnership. Thank you for the relationship. Thank you for the friendship. We love and adore you, Jesus. Be glorified. Thank you, Lord. That's awesome. Hilton, Riza, can we just appreciate them?